Good morning. Let's stand all over the house this morning and let's sing a hymn of the church. Simply just says, I'll live in glory by and by.
the ushers this morning if they would come and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Immediately following that, we're going to ask you to bring your tithes and offerings unto the Lord and just greet one another in the Lord before we jump back into worship today. Father, I thank you today for the Spirit of God. Lord, do we already feel in this place today. Lord, I thank you, God, that you brought us in this place to worship together as a part of the family of God. God, as we continue to worship through our giving, our tithes and our offerings, Lord, I pray you bless the giver and the gift. Bless those that have to give. And Lord, if there's someone here today who cannot give, for whatever the reason may be, Father, I pray that you would bless them so at some point in time they can give back to you to show how much they love and appreciate all you have done for them. Bless every song that is sung, note that is played, message that is given, scripture read. God, I pray that it would be for the advancement and the upbuilding of the kingdom. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people together said amen. 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 Will you join together this morning? this morning coming to lead scripture and prayer to come at this time. Immediately following scripture and prayer, we'll continue to jump into worship. God bless you today. Praise God. Good to be in God's house. Um, when the pastor was praying, he talked about feeling God's presence. I, I felt his presence all the day long. I thank the Lord for that. Looking at Hebrews chapter 13, I got two scriptures. He says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. 
That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I like to go to the Lord in prayer, and, and I like to follow that scripture. Uh, that sacrifice, I praise to our Lord and our God today in this church, in this sanctuary. Let us pray. Father, again, we're thankful, Lord, for your love and mercies and grace. Thankful, Lord, that we can come into your house, Lord. Lift up holy hands. Lift up our voices with praise and adoration to an all-knowing God. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Father, I pray that you would bless and touch the church this day, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just have your way. And Father, again, we're careful. We will be careful to thank you and praise you for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name.
Let's stand all over the house this morning. Let's continue to worship the Lord. We'll praise Him. We'll praise Him. We will praise Him in the morning. Praise Him in the noontime. Praise Him. Oh, we'll praise Him. We'll praise Him when the sun goes down. Oh, let's love on the Lord today. We'll love Oh, we will love Oh, we will love Him in the morning. Love Him in the noontime. We'll love Him.
today, God, that you are altogether lovely, you are altogether worthy, and you are altogether wonderful to us. That is why we come in this place together, together to worship you, because you are great and greatly to be praised. Father, there are many men and women, but Lord, today wish they could trade places with us, some that are in hospital sitting with loved ones who are, Lord, dealing with health complications, some that are homebound today and not able to come due to driving and some paralysis in legs and feet, some that have, Lord, some post, uh, if you will, baby uh, complications that prevent them from being in the house of the Lord, some battling sinuses and crud and flu and COVID and you name it. There's a lot of people, God, today wish they could trade places with us in this building. So just for that fact and that alone, we have enough to give you praise that we were able to be here today. It could have been anywhere else. But God, today we were healthy and able enough to be in here. We may not feel our best, but Lord, we still are able to be in your presence. And when we're not at our best, you are always at your best. So Father, I pray as we get ready to break the bread of life today, you would speak to the hearts of the people of God. You would let them hear the words of the Lord, not my word, but your word be spoken. Lord, it has nothing to do with what I say or do, but it has everything to do with what your word has to say to us today. And I pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people together said, Amen. 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 If you guide your Bibles, I'm going to ask you quickly to turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 6. As you're turning there, just a couple things. Let me say, I appreciate my brother-in-law Brennan coming to help us today. Brother Larry and Sister Jennifer are on an anniversary trip for their anniversary, and so they had to uh, be out of town, and so... Uh, Brennan has to be somewhere today later this afternoon, so he has to slip out, but he said, I can cover for you until about 11.30, and I said, I'll take what I can get, cheap labor, uh, it's, it's whatever, you know, good, good labor is hard, the good workers are hard to find, but I'm glad he was able to help us today, I appreciate that, um, also continue to pray, Sister Brenda Frierson's sister is still in the hospital, that's where uh, she is at today, Sister Ann is recovering, but still not at 100%, so obviously you know if Miss Ann is not here, there's a problem. And uh, she's here every time the doors are open. Sometimes she's here when I don't have them open. And so, uh, you know, she, and she misses us. She has texted me multiple times this week. i I got to get back to church. i got to get back to church. I said, well, do it healthily. We don't want you to be sick. And uh, so pray for her. Also, Brother Barnes and Sister Barnes are getting closer to returning, but his legs are still keeping him a little bit uh, grounded. 
right now. That's why they're not here. You know if he was able. He tried to still come, but his wife and his daughter, uh, he kind of had that, that Paul, Apostle Paul scripture, I am persuaded, uh, and uh, his wife and his daughter uh, persuaded him not to come <laughs> to church. And so um, we want to pray for him as well throughout the course of the day, but that's where he is today as well. And uh, so we want to just make mention of those to you today. Revelation chapter 6, we're just going to read a couple of verses of scripture. Um, to all our band and, and singers that lead us and worship, I know you see them all the time, but they help set the, the mode, the atmosphere for the, for the word of God. And, and to all of our audio video people, those that are working the cameras, those that are working the sound, you don't see them a lot, but they're scramble modes, they're constantly listening to uh, headphones and everything like that to give us uh, quality for you to be able to hear. And so we appreciate all of their efforts today. In fact, some of us this morning, we had a couple of glitches with some electrical. So right before Sunday school, we're in the attics and we're in breaker boxes and they're all trying to do that. Thank God that the sound techs are also electricians so they can fix the wire. So, because uh, if it's left up to me, we're just going to have an acapella night because I can't fix the wire. So uh, I know you don't put a uh, screwdriver in an electric socket. That's all I know you don't do. And so I thank God for all of those that help us do that today. We've been on a series called Sealed, and I started with you and talked with you the last couple of weeks out of Revelation chapter 5, who is worthy to break the seals. And I shared with you last week that as we continue on this journey, some of these series of messages will get a little more complex. They won't make you feel good. They're not going to be all warm and fuzzy when you leave out of here. You're not going to all invite the pastor to lunch at Gilligan's because you think I'm your bestie for life. But it is God's word, and I can't change his word. His word is his word. And I just want to start the crux of this message and the preface of this message and by saying this. When God has had enough, he has had enough. God will only go so far. And then he'll have had enough. And I want to let you know, you don't have to get to the point of pushing God to that point. But should you decide to stall make God, God will wait you out. And in the end, you'll regret that decision. Now, when I saw the lamb had opened one of the seals, there are seven of them total by the way, that I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, talking to John, come here and see it. So I looked and behold, there was a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. So far, if you don't know anything else, you would think that's the guy I want to serve. That's, that's the man. And while he was still Talking that, and seeing that, the Lamb opened the second seal. And I heard a second living creature say, no, no, come here and see this thing. And this time I saw another horse, but it was fiery red. And it went out like lightning. And it was granted to the one who sat upon it to take all the peace of the earth. And that the people should start killing one another. There was given to him a great sword. You think it's bad now. You wait till God moves his hand off of this country and you'll find out how bad you really got it. It may not be what you want it to be right now, but you better thank God we still have a God that's merciful and got his hand on our nation. Because it'd be a whole lot worse as soon as he says you can go and he moves his hand, you don't want to be here in this process. So for the next few moments, I want to talk to you. This is going to be a, a, a the title is going to be the same every week. They'll just be broken up in parts. Part one, I want to talk to you about the seals of fate. The seals 
of faith. Can I tell you, each and every woman, man, woman, boy, girl, in the sound of my voice today, you will seal your fate based on the decision you make with Jesus Christ. You will seal your fate. And it's up to you to decide how you seal it. Eternal Father, to the best of my ability, help me preach your word. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be heard. I want you to be magnified, glorified, and uplifted. Father, I'm asking today in the presence of these witnesses that your word accomplishes the task it is sent to do. May we forever, Lord, be indebted to this word. Take a coal from the altars of heaven and anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare only your word. Let us not be hearers of the word only, but doers thereof likewise. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said amen. 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 You may be seated today in the presence of the Lord. Now again, I want to say very early on in this message, these next couple weeks are not going to always make you feel good. Sometimes the role of a pastor and a shepherd, and I am a chief under-shepherd under the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, sometimes the role of a shepherd is every so often to take the staff that has the crook at the end of it and to help the sheep from, impair, from coming close to impairing danger. My job, my assignment for the next couple of weeks is not to bash you and not to hurt you, but to keep some of us from getting too close to the edge so that we don't fall to impending death. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritually getting too close to the fates of this world. And before it's too long, you're suckered back into a lifestyle of sin. And you get lost in the shuffle, if you will, and realize that your seal of fate is being determined. As we have seen in our series that we've been on entitled Sealed, the writer of Revelation reveals that there are seven seals which the Lamb of God is worthy to break open. In Revelation chapter 1, we see the vision of the glorified Son of God which led to the writing of seven churches that he wrote letters to. He sent seven angels to write, write these seven letters to the churches. Similarly, there is a throne room vision in chapter 4 and 5 that set the stage for the opening of the scrolls with its sequence of seals, trumpets, and bowls. We'll follow after each, one after each. This dramatic portrayal of God's righteous judgment is now underway. It should be noted that the scroll that the Lamb of God is trying to unroll cannot be completely opened till seven seals have been broken and removed. As each seal is removed, we are introduced to a series of preliminary judgments. This era of time ushers in what we call in the church The great tribulation of time. From his vantage point in heaven, John is invited to look down and see the futuristic judgments of God on those left behind after the rapture. Now let me pause right here. This is going to be about a 30 second derailing train uh, regarding apologetics and, 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 and regarding teachings and doctrines and eschatology. There are many people that have different viewpoints on the rapture. There are some that view that we are post-tribulational raptures, church. Meaning, we will all suffer tribulation for seven years before God ultimately takes us home. And then we have that second millennial reign of Christ. There are some folks that believe in what we call the mid-tribulational period. Where we got to suffer for the first three and a half years of it. But... About three and a half years into it, about halfway through the mess, God will take us out at that point. Now, if that's either one of those are your positions and viewpoints, by all means, you are entitled and I respect your opinion. 
I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong because that is your opinion. But I will tell you based on my understanding of Scripture as well as aligning with our church doctrines and teachings of the faith of the church of God in which I am credentialed and served and based on my understanding of Scripture, I don't plan on being here when God gets mad. I plan on being a pre-tribulational church that God will come and catch away his saints and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds of glory so shall we ever be with the Lord. I plan on getting out of here before God gets ticked off about things down here. Hello? I don't plan on being a second Sodom and Gomorrah. I plan on the angels of the Lord coming and getting me, Lot, and my family and ushering me out of the city before he sends destruction. If you want to stay halfway through the tribulation, you and God talk about it. But if God's giving me a ticket first, I'm getting out of here. I'm not waiting around to see what the second part is going to happen in that story. If God gives me a train pass or a, a, a ticket to get on out of here, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm cashing that in before the tribulation shows up. And if you say, well, Pastor, I want to, yeah, I believe that we got to suffer through it all and then we, we'll, we'll get raptured at the end of that whole tribulation. Well, bless God, I hope you make it through it because I'm not taking that chance. Because the difference between now and then is when the tribulation comes, there's a removal of God's hand on this earth. Ichabod is now written over the doorpost of the entire fate of humanity. God allows the enemy to have free total control for seven years without his intervention. I do not want to live a life where God is not in the middle of it. I don't want to live a life where I'm not sure if God is there or not there. I want to make sure that I'm always with God wherever he is. He's asked to look down on these judgments. As Christ, the reigning Lord of heaven, opens each seal, with the opening, it will trigger an action that takes place on the earth. The first four seals, and we'll only cover two today, but the first four seals are often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They are described in horses and riders. Of the four, today we will cover two of them, the white horse and the red horse. The imagery of these horses actually traces all the way back into the prophetic book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 1 verses 8 through 17, we are introduced to these horses. In chapter 6 verse 1 through 8 of Zechariah, we are introduced to the purpose of those horses. These colored horses represented a specific judgment. In Zechariah, these horses are described to be sent out to patrol the earth. In Revelation, these horses are sent out to release said judgment upon the earth. So what are these two horses that we look at today? What do they tell us? What do they reveal to us? Well, the first thing I want to do is I want to give you a depiction of these horses. You say, well, Pastor, you already gave them. They're red and they're white. No, no, no. I want to give you a more in-depth depiction of these horses. Because if you look at it on the surface and you just read what I read to you about the white horse on the surface, you'd say, that sounds like a good guy to follow. He's a conqueror. He's riding a right horse. He's got a crown. He's doing it all. But I hope that by the end of this message you realize you better make sure you follow the right horse. Because not all horses have the same rider on them. You can have multiple white horses, but you better make sure you know who's riding which white horse. You see, it must be understood that these depictions are symbolic, not necessarily literal in terms of horses and riders, yet the meaning is just as important and the same. 
While to some of us, when you first read that, you may, if you're, you know, not very in-depth in your Bible knowledge, you may say, well, that sounds like Christ. I've heard preachers all the time preach that Christ is coming on a white horse in the clouds of glory. He is, but that's not who's riding this horse. This is not Christ, and the reason is because the evidence is stacked against him. How can the Lamb of God be breaking the seal simultaneously when a horse is administered to depict a judgment upon the earth? It's not to be that way. Christ opens up the seals and the rider of this horse starts to go into the world and promising a false narrative, false peace, false hope. He is trying to give them, if you will, a false representation. But I want to let you know just because the rider of this white horse is promising you a false depiction of peace. The way you know it's not God is because God never fails. God doesn't do something and then go back on his word and fail to accomplish the task he sent to do. This white horse represents conquest, false peace. This horse has a crown. Horseman has a crown indicating authority. A bow but without arrows. Suggesting that he conquers the world diplomatically offering peace. Ladies and gentlemen, I just have introduced you to what we would call the Antichrist. It is not Christ. In fact, it's the antithesis of Christ. Because Satan from the foundations of earth, from the time he started out his journey... Everything he's tried to do is to imitate and mimic Jesus Christ. What got him in trouble in heaven to start with was the fact that he wanted to not be under God. He wanted to be God. Just like him. The arrogance. Dogmatic feelings. Throughout the course of humanity he has tried to mimic the powers of Christ. You track with me just briefly to the book of Exodus God appears to a man that has a speech impediment, that struggles with speech. And he calls him out of a wilderness because this particular man had lived for 40 years in Egypt. So he knew the navigation and he knew the terrain, he knew the culture, he had been around it. God calls him to go and to deliver God's chosen people, the Israelites, out of the Egyptian bondage. And this 80-year-old man, soon to be 80-year-old man, tracks all the way back. With his brother to let God's people be free. God tells this prophetic voice of the day. A guy by the name of Moses. You go to Pharaoh. You tell him let my people go. This is God's word. But don't miss what happens in the story. God does a series of miracles for Moses right there at the burning bush to confirm he's God. Snake and staff. Leprous hands. When Moses tracks into the courts of Pharaoh, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh says, Well, who is this God that I should allow your people, that you call his people, to leave? What sign, what makes you think that I'm going to just give them open to this God? The Bible says that God spoke to Moses and said, Throw your snake down. So Moses threw his staff down and it turned into the serpent. There's only one problem. The devil is not to be outdone by God. The Bible says that Pharaoh called his sorcerers and his magicians. 
and they threw their staffs down. Now, you can call it black magic. You can call it sleight of hand, whatever. The Bible gives us indication that their staffs turned into snakes too. And the Bible tells us that the only way that those staffs were taken care of is the serpent of Moses ate the serpents of the Egyptians before he picked it up. But somehow the Egyptians produced snakes. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is no good snake but a dead one. I don't care. You can have a pet one. You can like them. You know, I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't care if it's a gardener snake, a green snake, or whatever. I ain't messing with no snake. I ain't playing with that. God cursed them. I ain't playing with them. That's just how that works for me. But in that moment, you can see that even the devil is trying to mimic the power of God. And for quite a few of the early plagues, the Egyptians were able to counteract everyone for so long. But about halfway through the plagues, they get a reality check. Moses sends a plague, and they can't take care of it. They can't duplicate it. They can't stop it. And from that point forward, God's... But for a, a portion of time, Pharaoh would not let God's people go because he says, well, our gods can do the same thing. That's the enemy of your soul. See, the devil has constantly tried his best. He knew God created you fearfully and wonderfully made and put inside of you the DNA to be a worshiper. And God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. And ever since that time, the devil has tried his best to take God's creation from him and corrupt it from the time of its arrival. The enemy has tried to do that. And the Bible tells us that there'll come a day that the devil is going to find him a Christ-type person type and, pro and shadow, if you will, a, a, a prototype that's going to look just like what Jesus could do. This, this antichrist, antithesis of Christ is, notice the description. In Revelation chapter 19, the Bible tells us that Jesus rides on a white horse. This rider rides on a white horse. Christ told us before he left in Matthew 24, 4 through 5, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many people. There will be a great dispersion or falling away. A lot of people will go, well, you know, maybe he is. Maybe he is. I want to tell you today, there are too many men and women already serving the spirit of the Antichrist even though they have not met the physical embodiment of the Antichrist in this world. There are people to this day have served God, but things in life have gotten them to denounce God, to, dis, to, to degrade God, to decide that God maybe is not all he said to be, and they now serve the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, I don't need to go to church because I can live just as good as Brother Marion lives, and I can do, I'm a nice person, and, and all this. That is a spirit of the Antichrist. I don't need God. I can do it by myself. I don't need him. There are people like that. Well, I don't need to go to church. Church is full of corrupt people. Oh, I know the kind of people that go to your church. Oh, yeah, they own small businesses, but they're a crook in town. How do I want to be that kind of Christian? Hello. Yeah, people that have been bruised and battered and beaten up by churches, and they have had so much hurt done to them by pastors and administrators and people with inside the body of Christ that to themselves they feel like if that's how God really is, I want no part of that God. 
That's an antichrist type spirit. That is a doubt. That is a that is the anti that is that spirit of, of deception and and, 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 and and if you will, masking and, and shading the eyes and getting them to doubt. That's what the devil did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't make them eat the fruit, he caused them to doubt the word of God. That's what people do today. Well, how do you know the Bible is true? Prove it. Well, how do you know? Well, the Bible said, well, well, how do you know that homosexuality is wrong? How do you know drinking and smoking and doing things like that? How do you know? How do you have biblical proof of that? I mean, it's kind of a gray matter. How do you know God's not accepting of that? What it is is seeds of doubt. Just to try to get you to question God's word and his morals and his standards and his ethics of living. The reality of it is you and I, if we're not careful... You and I have people in our family and our connections and our, in our circle of influence of people that we know know better. But they don't live like it. They know better. It ain't like they don't know. They know what to do but choose not to do what they know to do. That's a spirit of the, that's a, that is a, a, a type and shadow of that antichrist spirit of, of just getting you to think differently. Not only is he on a white horse but he's wearing a crown. The Bible tells us Jesus will wear a crown, a crown that identifies him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's holding a weapon, a bow. Now, he doesn't have arrows, but he has a bow, a sign of a weapon. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3, Apostle Paul told the church at Thessalonica, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, and when they say, Peace! And safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as laboring pains of a pregnant woman and they shall not escape it. The Antichrist will declare peace and that's the issue. That word peace that he says will usher in a time of deception on the world. He will deceive. He will deceive this world. He is empowered by Satan. First John 4 and 3 tells us every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming but is now already in the world. This is what John wrote, the same one that wrote John the Revelator in 1 John 4, 3. He said all the way back then that the spirit, not the Antichrist, but the spirit of the Antichrist is already making his way through the world. Boy, is he not still doing that today. Abortions, sins, transgender issues, sexual identity issues, fraudulent activity, crime. You got cities right now that are just ramshacked with crime, and you see it all over the news and just the the the, the absolute crazy chaotic state of our world. And that's with God's hand of mercy still on us. Imagine what it would be like if there was no supreme authority at all to stop it. Oh, I understand. You can put your, your vote and your dependency on a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent, a Green Party, a Tea Party, or whatever party you want. At the end of the day, if God moves his hand of protection on this nation, there ain't no party going to save you. The only thing keeping you grounded is God hasn't let it get out of, out of hand but so far because he's still holding the world in the palm of his hands. Reality of it is, there'll come a day though that God says, I'm done. This is it. I'm finished. It's done. 
I'm not doing this anymore. And when he gets to that point, you better hope you're on the train going north and you don't stay down here going south. First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3 calls this Antichrist spirit the man of sin. After the arrival of the white horse, we see that there's a second horse that shows up, a dark red horse that has a blood-like color, and he symbolizes great slaughter, killing, blood. Unlike the rider of the white horse who symbolizes judgment from without, the red horse identifies the internal strife from within. It's not going to be the world that's doing it. It's going to be us doing it to each other. It ain't going to be outside forces. It's going to be an inside job. Remember what it said. When I saw the red horse, power was given him to take away the peace from the earth. And they would all start to kill one another. Man against man. Woman against woman. You see, what, why, why is that so important? Because Jesus made this statement. When I come, I did not come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. To separate mother from father, brother from sister, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, father-in-law and son-in-law. I come to, to shake up the world. Isn't it funny that the rider of the red horse, still not Jesus by the way, but the rider of the red horse is bringing a sword to get everybody to divide against themselves. It is a prototype and shadow of trying to mimic everything Jesus Christ has said he'd do. And if you read it on the surface, you think you're following Jesus. He's a conquering king. He's riding a right horse. Jesus said he's going to divide the nations. And this, this one's going to divide the nations. No, no, no. This is a false representation of Jesus Christ. I didn't even know these things existed. There was a thing called rage rooms. I didn't even know these were real. I was actually doing some research this week to prepare for this message. And I, I came across this concept. And I, I, I had to go Google this and look it up. Because I thought, yeah, that's, that's not realistic. There's no way that we, are, we as a society have sunk to this point. That this is actually a real thing. And lo and behold, I was, I was dumb and floored. And obviously been living under a rock. These are real. We've got one in Charleston. I didn't even know. I live here. Didn't even know there was such a thing in Charleston. You can pay money. Just like you would like one of those escape rooms. You can pay money. Book a venue. Book a time to go to this place. And you will be put in a hazmat suit. And a, like a bee. Uh, like the, the little mask they wear for bees. Headdress. And given some mechanics gloves. And they'll give you a baseball bat. And they will take you into a room and they will have all this old furniture, glass bottles, TV set up just like your house. And for a solid hour, you get to go in there and just bash everything in that room for as long as you want for an hour. Just beat the bloody brains out of it. At first I thought, that's a dumb idea. And then I thought, I bet you a pastor is the one that founded this company for Monday morning. <laughs> that's what he did. He decided, you know what, I can help pay the building fund at the church. I'll open this up, tithe it back to the church. And every Monday, I'll go in there and I'll start this. And if I feel better when I'm done, the rest of the world will come do this. And we'll make money for God's kingdom. I haven't found who the owner is, but I want to ask him, did he have a religious background? <laughs> well, yeah. For an hour, you get to go in there and just destroy anything in your path. 
The goal was supposed to be for you to, quote unquote, release your inner rage. The more I sat in my office and thought about that, the more I started getting a little more disheartened by that thought. That we have to create a money-making scheme to help people get their rage of their heart out. And they're so angry that they feel like they have to go to a room and bash things so when they leave out of there they can feel better about their life. Something tells me they're missing God in their life. Let me tell you right now, I could come in here next Sunday morning and hand every one of y'all a Louisville slugger and tell you to go all over this property and tear up anything you want to. The Bible tells me how the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible tells me that the, the issues of life flow from the heart. I'm going to tell you right now, you can beat every lamp you want to, tear up every flat screen TV you want to, beat every hole you want to in a wall. But if it's inside your heart, when you walk out, you're still going to have it in your heart. The bat ain't going to fix nothing inside of your heart. And there are too many people trying to mask it by coming to church, lifting their hands for about 30 seconds in a praise break moment of a sermon or in a praise break moment of a worship service, but they're letting the seeds of bitterness, and they're letting the seeds of hurt, and they're letting the seeds of anger, and they're letting the seeds of animosity, and they're letting the seeds of jealousy, and they're letting the seeds of pride begin to just take root. And they come on Sundays, and they give about a 30-second, God, you're so good, praise. But on Monday morning, they're still as mean as they were on Saturday. They're still as vile on Tuesday. They're still cussing on Wednesday. They're still blessing everybody out on Thursday because it's in their heart and they haven't gotten it out of their heart no matter how you try to bash it out at the end of the day if it's in your heart you've got to get it out of your heart what are you telling me pastor well the second thing I want to tell you today is not only was there the depiction but these two horses bring destruction they're not coming to be your friend they're coming to tear it up they're coming to destroy things in their path just like those rage rooms look the I told you that this issue is in the tribulational period. God is going to bring his judgment unleashed upon the world prior to the second coming of Christ. The rider of the white horse carries a bow that was symbolic to military power. And a crown that was a sign of conquest. That's what Jesus had. In, so, in Proverbs, I'm sorry, in Proverbs 12 and 19, the writer says, Truth Stands the test of time, but lies will be exposed. The devil can have you snow job for a long time, but one day Jesus will unveil his true eyes. He'll unveil the true meaning behind his agenda. I want to tell you something that's probably going to shock your world. There are a lot of people that serve Jesus. They just don't serve the Jesus of the Bible. Just let that sit for a minute in your head. Think about that statement. There's a lot of people that serve Jesus. I'm not saying it's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. They serve Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. How is that possible, preacher? Because they serve what Jesus represents. They have something that lords over them. They have something that dominates them. They have something that is their driving force of life. They have something, but they don't walk in the ways of God, so something else is in their chair of their heart. They're serving something. They're, they're, they have something. They're just not serving the Jesus of the Bible. And can I tell you, there's a lot of people, they don't really have a problem with Jesus. As long as they can pick and choose what parts of Jesus they like. There's a lot of people that like the Jesus loving. They like that. Jesus is merciful, forgiving. Jesus welcomes everybody. They like that. They don't like when Jesus says things like, there's things like sin. 
and righteous living. There's a lot of people in this world, you could go to Walmart right now, put up a pop-up tent, and just take a survey and ask how many people love Jesus, or how many people believe that Jesus Christ is, 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 is was a real figure, and, and he, he walked on this earth. You'll be shocked at how many people will probably support and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But if you were able to put a tracking device on their life, they live like they don't even know who Jesus is. But they tell you they know Jesus. They'll tell you they know him. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. The sad reality is some of those people are in our own families. They're not just even in the world. They're kin to us. They are kin to us. I'm not talking about adoptive. I'm talking about blood relatives. Christ will bring a sword. This rider brings a bow. Christ wears a crown that is a diadem or a royal crown. This rider wears what is called a Stephanos, which is a crown that was given when a king would go and beat another king. He would take the defeated king's crown and he would put it on his head to let the, the people know that I'm now your king. I'm in control. In fact, we find that story with the writings of David. David, when he was king of Israel, there was many times that when he, there was a couple times in his conquest when he defeated an enemy, they would bring the enemy's crown to David and David would wear the enemy's crown as a symbol to let the enemy know I'm now the guy that's calling the shots. That's what the devil does. The devil can't wear king of kings and lord. He can't wear the royal diadem. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all. He can't wear that one. So what he does is he gets a different one. He still gets a crown. He just wears a different version. What the enemy wears is he tries to go and pick off God's people one by one and then put their crown on. Oh, God, I took old Keith's life. Oh, God, I got Marion's life. Oh, God, look, look, God, Jimmy's serving me now. Look at me. I'm over Jimmy's life now, God. Oh, look, I got Wendell, Lord. The devil takes your life and wears it as a badge of honor, as a crown, to basically to the face of God to say, what are you going to do about it now? I got them. That you're, you're the devil's crown. Your life is his crown. He can't wear the royal crown. Jesus is going to be king of kings and lord of lords, whether you like that or not. He's going to end up sitting on the throne of his father David and be able to judge the nation. Jesus Christ is going to be Jesus Christ whether you like it or not. What the devil does is he tries to usurp that by creating false crowns and narratives. This Antichrist will preach peace, but he's prepping for war. He will usher in a, this time where he'll sign this seven-year peace treaty where he'll try to tell them for seven years, I'll take care of you. I'll let nothing happen to you. For the first three and a half years, he will make good on that promise. And he'll make everybody think he is God's gift to humanity. For the last three and a half years, he will be an unruly, uncontrolled, unleashed beast. The Bible tells us, Jesus said that he gives a peace that is not like what the world gives. The devil will promise you peace, but it does not last. But Jesus promises a peace that surpasses all human understanding, faculties, and comprehension that the world can't give it to you. And by God, the world cannot take it away. Isaiah described him as the Prince of Peace. Paul told the church at Philippi, the only peace of God surpasses human intellect, reasoning, and understanding. Only God's peace can do that. The second horse... He's carrying a large sword similar to like that of the Romans when they would go into battle used for bloody conquest. What is Jesus bringing? The Bible said he'll have a sword in his hand. 
Zechariah prophesied in his chapter 14 and chapter chapter 14 and verse 13. It shall come a pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them and everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. He said in the last days, brother will turn against brother. I would like to tell you that that's only going to be during the tribulation, but it's happening right now. People will just shoot people in cold blood and don't even care. They'll go, to a, they'll go to a Super Bowl parade honoring the Super Bowl champions and people just walk in a crowd and unleash fire. They don't even have to have these people don't even know who's who. They just start unleashing on people just because they can. Brother against brother. Yeah. The Bible also tells us that this red horse will bring the sign of rebellion and civil disorder and there'll be bloodshed and there'll be, there'll be many deaths. Sure, there'll be some that'll die of pestilence and disease, but the majority will be lost due to war. Most theologians speculate that based on the trajectory of what they estimate the population of humanity will be, they have speculated that as many as up to 3 billion people will be killed during the time of the tribulation. 3 billion people. To put that in proper perspective, in the last 100 years of recorded human history, the two world wars that we have been in, there have been a loss of 42 million, not billion, 42 million lives with 50 million being wounded. So there is 92 million people that have either been fatally killed or mortally wounded in war. But in this three and a half year tribulational period, over 3 billion people will just like that evaporate from this world. In fact, you'll hear in one of these seals in a couple weeks that it is described as a third of the entire population of the earth is wiped out just like that with God's judgment. One third, 33% of this world will die and go to hell just like that. Wiped out. Wiped out. Matthew tells us that you will in the end of time, Matthew 24, 6 through 9, in the end of time, there will be wars. Rumors of wars. Boy, does that not sound like today. You will see that people are troubled. But you shouldn't be troubled, for these things must come to pass. For the end is not yet near. Nation! Rise up against nation. What has Russia and Ukraine been doing for the last year and a half? Nation! Against nation. What is what, big music festivals and all these Palestinians decide to fly out of the air with, with, with uh, parachutes and unleash? What are they doing? Nation! Against nation, kingdoms, against kingdoms. There will be famines, pestilence. Anybody remember a season we call COVID? Pestilence, earthquakes. Remember not so long ago they were having all those tremors and underwater earthquakes and earthquakes in Japan of magnitude that's wiping out entire cities. And Jesus surmised that saying, this is just the beginning. This is not even the end of it. This is just the start of it. And you want to stay here for this? You're crazy if you do. The last thing I want to tell you is, is there's only one way to do. I gave you the depiction of these horses. I gave you the destruction of these horses. But at the end of the day, the decision lies with you. You make the final call, not the horse. And not even the rider of the horse, you. You decide which horse you will follow. The Bible tells me this. 
Some may trust in chariots, and some may trust in horses, but we shall trust in the name of the Lord our God. I'm telling you right now, you can follow the white horse, the red horse, the pale horse, the black horse, the no horse, whatever, but I'm not trusting in chariots. I'm not trusting in the horses, horses of the United States. I'm not trusting in the chariots of this world. While some may, men may trust in chariots and while some men may trust in horses, I choose to trust in the name of the Lord my God because he's never failed me yet. He's never abandoned me. He's never left me nor forsake me. I'm telling you, I don't plan on watching the red horse be unleashed, the white horse be unleashed. The only one I'm looking for is one with a majestic stallion. Yeah, it'll be a white horse, but with a majestic stallion on one side will say King of Kings and on the other side will say Lord of Lords. Yes, it'll be a sword, but it'll be a two-edged sword to be piercing the joint and morrow and every angel will bow every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord that's the one I'm looking for that's who I'm looking for Miss Carol you come while the word of God is clear these things will have to come to pass and the world will be searching for answers during these times of crisis the seal of fate lies within your hands yes ultimately God will assign the final judgment of humanity whether it's at the Bema seat or the great white throne judgment, you decide which courthouse you're going to be appearing. See, if I go to jail today for something illegal or immoral, I may not get to decide which court they take me to. In essence, I don't even get to decide which the judge, which judge is going to hear my case. However, you and I in our spirit world, we have a critical role in deciding which judgment hall we show up to one day. Now all of us, everybody from humanity will stand before the same Supreme Court justice. There won't be nine of them. There'll be one of them. There won't be eight other people voting your fate. There won't be, well, let us get back into our chambers and deliberate. There's one justice that's listening. One judge. The problem is, you have the chance and the power in your decision making to decide which courthouse they're going to walk you into. You let them walk you into the great white throne judgment, you won't come out the same way. Ananias and Sapphira walked into the judgment house of God's house. When they lied before God, they walked in alive, they carried out dead. When you get in God's judgment seat house, you won't be able to walk out the same way you walked in. There's no going back. But at the Bema seat, that courthouse, you also, when you walk in, won't walk out the same way you walked in. Because at the Bema seat, when you walk in, you'll walk in broken and poor and disenfranchised. But when you walk out, you walk out a multimillionaire with a crown that you wear. With stars and royal diadems of, of, of the countless things you've done for the kingdom of God. You'll have a royal vestibule. You, you'll be royalty. You'll walk out from being broke to bring rich out of that court you still will walk in and walk out different the choice is which courthouse are you appearing before both of them you will walk in one way and usher out a different way but how do you want to be ushered out of that courthouse which one do you want to appear Satan the dragon beast along with the rising of the antichrist the false prophet will attempt to deceive this world one last time during this period but God's righteous judgment will prevail. God, since the foundation of time, has been more merciful to fallen humanity. Yet there will be times 
that man has continually and continually and continuously turned himself away that God will have had enough and he will remove his hand from their life. When God has had enough, he truly has had enough. While the depiction and the destruction of the first two horsemen of the apocalypse can be alarming and unnerving. You say, well, Pastor, I didn't come to church to feel so uncomfortable. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, the ultimate decision of whether or not you have to face that is up to you. You choose it. Therefore, let it be said like the great pastor and leader Joshua, when he posed this statement to Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. But I want you to be advised today and ensure you the best answer you'll ever be able to give is to so confidently stand before God in His royal courts and before men because if you're ashamed of Him before men, He'll be ashamed of you before His heavenly Father. The best answer you can give. But as, as for me, in my house, some may trust in chariots, some may trust in horses, but as for me in my house, while some of you may put it in the Democrats, some of you may put it in the Republicans, some of you may put it in the mega church, some of you may put it in the small church. But as for me in my house, well, some of you may put it in your bank account, some of you put it in your house, and your stock market, and your 401k, and your Roth, some of you put it in all. But as for me in my house, we choose the Lord. We choose the Lord. So that when I stand before God, I don't have to go, oh God, I'm in trouble. I can stand before Him. How do you plead? I plead guilty from the charges of sin. But I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over every one of them. I plead, I plead, I plead the blood. I plead, I plead, I plead the blood. Because when you plead the blood, it will say that stamp of approval, that seal of faith. You will hear God say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You did good. Well done. That's the right answer. Who is? Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Jesus said, but who do you Say that I am. Peter said, oh, I know who you are. You might be John the Baptist to some, and you might be Elijah to others. But I saw 5,000 men plus women and children on 20,000 people get hand-fed by the master himself. I saw 4,000 people get fed with seven baskets left over. I watched you walk into my mother-in-law's house, who I didn't even like, because I don't even like my mother-in-law, and heal her. So I had to live with her even that much longer and save her from dying. I saw you raise Jairus' daughter in an upper room. I watched you go to the tomb of Lazarus and call a dead thing, that which was dead, back to life. Oh, I don't care if they call you Elijah I don't care if they call you John the Baptist but I'll tell you who you are you're Jesus Christ the son of the living God there's no one like you you are God and there's none like you and Jesus said Peter well done flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but it had to be the heavenly father all the other disciples had the same chance to answer the question but not a one of them took a chance to say it Jesus' response is, and because of that, Peter, you no longer will be called Peter, but I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to call you a rock. Because upon you, Peter, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Oh, Peter, you'll screw up. You'll mess it up. You'll take the church down a dark path. You're going to fumble and fall. You're going to denounce me three times. But, Peter, I know one thing about you. You know who I am. And you know that even when you screw it up, you know who to come to. So upon that rock, Peter, you, I'm going to build my church. Now, I, I, and you realize that if you check all throughout the New Testament, 
the number one early church father that gets the most featured attention and setting the church in its trajectory is the Apostle Peter. Yeah, John got to see heaven. Peter built God's church. John got to see Mary pass away and he got to be on the island of Patmos and he, he got to write down the visions of heaven. But I'm telling you, Peter's the one on the day of Pentecost ushering in the Holy Ghost. Peter's the one preaching Jesus. Peter's the one adding people to the church while everybody else is having dreams and visions. Peter's saying, he's Jesus. He's Jesus. He's Jesus. I'm telling you, we can have all the dreams we want and all the visions we want, but we better make sure in our heart we know how to answer, you're Jesus. You're Jesus. You're Jesus Christ and Lord of my life. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I finish with this. At the end of time, we are at the end of time, and this is not the time for the faintness of heart. It is a time that God's righteous judgment and anger will be unleashed on the wickedness of man and the plots of the enemy. The church will see a significant part of the turmoil leading up to the inauguration of Christ, but we all have the confident hope of being raptured out of here before the Antichrist gets full control. While God is merciful enough to rapture His people out of this great time of tribulation, we as the church will still face difficult days until He comes. I don't want you to leave here thinking, oh, we got a pie in the sky. No, we'll still face difficult days. Therefore, I believe it is more imperative now than ever before to ensure that we are walking in harmony with the Lord and ready to go should and when He calls my name. This world will not be anybody's, anybody, nobody. This world will not be their final destination. However, this world could be the only piece of heaven you ever experience if you choose to walk in disfellowship from the Lord. This is not your final resting place, but if you don't know Jesus, this is as close to heaven you'll ever get. As close as you get. The seals will be broken. But the question I pose to you today is one and the same. What is the seal of your fate? What is your seal? Jesus is going to break all the seals. But when he breaks them, what's yours? See, people look at brokenness in, in a bad light. Sometimes God breaks us to extract stuff out of us. I'm going to give you this example, and then I'm going to have you go to a time of prayer and, and think about this. Every time somebody comes to church and they want us to symbolically give them a, a prayer cloth, they'll say something like, hey, pastor, can you have the church anoint a prayer cloth? What they want us to do is they want us to take oil, Dollar General, Walmart, Pompeii, Great Value, whatever. It's nothing special. It's olive oil. They want us to symbolically take that oil just like oil that ran down the beard of Aaron. They want that anointing oil to be transferred, if you will, symbolically to that, that piece of uh, a napkin or, 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 or prayer cloth and given to a person. It's symbolic. It, the, the cloth doesn't do anything. It's symbolism. But the reason it's so imperative that you understand that, that narrative is because the oil plays a huge part. Oil is not natural. Oil comes from brokenness. An olive does not leak oil. In order to produce olive oil, you have to break the olive and literally watch it be crushed to produce the oil that you're trying to extract. I am perplexed, but not crushed. Struck down, 
but not destroyed. God never promised that there won't be times you get broken. He promised he'll turn something beauty into, take beauty out of ashes. Joy out of mourning. You'll get broken. You'll get crushed. But God promised something good out of it. Say right now, I'm not sitting here today telling you that you won't walk through dark days. You're going to be, you're going to walk through some challenges. But what happens when God finally breaks the seal of your life? What's going to come out of you? Anger, bitterness, jealousy, animosity, or love, hope. What's going to happen when you're broken? You choose this day the seal of your faith. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God, I have done my best today to preach your word. Yeah, I know it's not one of those running the aisles and making everyone feel good about their life, but God, it's still your word. Sometimes the words are challenging. God, I pray right now in this moment, I don't want to belabor the point, but you speak to people's hearts right now. As you remain in the spirit of prayer, I just want to ask two questions. The first one is the one I ask every week because I feel like it is imperative, and even today, more imperative than ever before. If you cannot say today in your heart, Jesus Christ were to ask you who, do you, who do you say that I am? Choose you this day who you serve. If you could truthfully say, Pastor, right now in my heart, I, I don't know that I can answer that, that Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. I'm, I'm a little uncertain. I'm not sure I'm in right harmony with Him. I'm not sure He is Lord of my life right now. I'm, I don't know how to answer that question confidently. I don't have Him in that seat of my throne room of my heart, but I want Him to be. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you say today, Pastor, that's me. I want to make sure Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. And I'm in right fellowship with Him. Will you slip your hand up? No one looking around. Just will you slip your hand up if you're not certain today. I don't want you to leave this place uncertain. Amen. And my final question is this. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to think about this. The words that I have preached to you today, while they may not have elicited a great run the aisles and make you feel good about your life, but I pray they've challenged you in some capacity today to think about the future of your life. So today I'm going to ask this question. I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to just contemplate it with God in your heart. What is the seal of your life? If God were to come by your house this week and to utterly break you, what would come out of you? If God broke the seal of your heart, if He broke your heart, a broken and contrite spirit, the Lord will not despise. But if He broke you, He broke something in your family. He broke your heart with your children. He broke your heart with your grandchildren. He broke your heart with your spouse. He broke your heart with your church. If God broke you today, what would come out? What would come out? What would be extracted and extrapolated from it? And if today you in your heart believe that it would be something that is not of good rapport and not of good, I'm challenging you right now to talk to God about changing your seal of faith. You might be saved. That doesn't mean you handle brokenness right or handle hurt properly. We may not walk through the tribulation, but we will walk through dark days as a church, universal church of the living God. Until Jesus comes back, it's not going to get better. It's going to continue to get worse. Thank God God's still a providential hand of mercy and grace is upon us. But there will come a day it's not. And I certainly don't want anybody to be left behind to have to experience it without God. 
The word altar is an acronym that I like to use around here. You ask God, you take it to prayer. The L stands for you let it go. The T stands for you trust Him with it all. The A stands for accept that it's not yours to carry anymore, it's His. The R stands for release it and don't pick it back up. So whatever that is, if you say, Pastor, I don't know what that seal if I was broken means today, ask God to help you let it go of some things in your life that's bothering you. Trust His help. Accept that it's now His and let it go. Release it. Give it to Him so that you can walk in harmony with Him. Eternal Father, I don't know the hearts and lives of these men and women in this house today, but I know one thing. I know God. And God knows everything. Father, I pray this message today has helped somebody today. Challenged them, encouraged them, equipped them, changed them, convicted them. Father, today I believe with all my heart, God, that I have done my best to tell the truth to the people of God. I understand, God, that sometimes we like upbuilding and uplifting messages. But sometimes, God, your word is designed to make us think, to cut us quick, to keep us, Lord, from making decisions in our lives that would be detrimental to our life. Father, I pray today that you would allow these men and women to leave this place, if nothing else, pondering the words of God today in their heart. Father, I pray you would bless us and keep us. You'd make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Guard our hearts until you come again. Lord, let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength, blessed Redeemer. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Before you're dismissed, let me make a couple quick things before I have Brother Andy pray the benedictory prayer. Don't forget tonight we'll still be in our series of the tabernacle. However, there'll be a pause on this series next Sunday night as we will host CLM for a graduation service for them. So still come, but it'll be a CLM graduation. Also, Easter's around the corner. If you want to go ahead and start bringing candy for the Easter egg extravaganza on March 23rd, uh, we will have baskets out there to collect it. We'll take all shapes and sizes from candy approved for little, little people all the way to grown-up candy, you know, like Advil um, and Tylenol. Uh, that's what old people take for fun. And uh, so we'll take whatever you can get, all right? Uh, but we want to get candy and trinkets and stuff for our kids, so make sure you're there. Also, don't forget to mark your calendars. March 31st is Easter. We'll have sunrise like we always do with breakfast, then regular Sunday for Easter Sunday. Um, but I also want to mention to you that tonight is snack night. Praise the Lord for that wonderful event. So, all your little fruit trays, little smokies, your danishes, whatever. The good news is, is somebody else will be teaching tonight, so you probably have a good chance of eating dinner before 7.30. So, you want to come tonight for snack night, because after this, you may not get to eat snack again for a really long time. So, you better enjoy it while it lasts, but please make sure you're aware of that tonight. Uh, bring your favorite whatever you like to bring. And uh, let us share that together. For everybody that was here today, let me say thank you for being with us today. Those online, those at home, uh, we just love having you here. I'm going to have you ask you to stand all over the house. Brother Randy is going to pray our benedictory prayer. And immediately following, uh, you can consider yourselves dismissed. God bless you. Have a great rest of your afternoon.